Hello and welcome to Going Viral. I am David Lim. It is Tuesday, the 20th of April. In today's podcast, adjunct professor Bill Botel takes a critical view of our vaccine rollout and how decisions in Australia can be better made. Taking a look at what is happening in the world, Professor Botel states that nature makes viruses, politics and politicians create pandemics. Uh, adjunct Professor Botel, tell us about yourself. Hi, David. I'm an adjunct professor at UNSW, but for 40 years, uh, since the emergence of the HIV pandemic globally and in Australia, uh, I've seemed to exist at this intersection between the political system and the realities of uh, viral pandemics. I was uh, senior advisor to Dr. Blewett, uh, who was the health minister in the Hawke government, when he and the government and the parliament had to deal with the emergence of HIV and AIDS. So in the mid eighties, we had a very rough lesson in what can go wrong about how you manage viral pandemics. And in Australia, I'm happy to say what can go right. We, we created a very good response that brought together the uh, science, scientists, the government, the clinicians, most importantly, the community activists, and to come up with a coherent and effective response to the emergence of HIV. And then that taught me, I've got to say, that while it's very important to deal with those who have the disease that's coming along, uh, we can prevent its spread we can prevent infections and this was a revelation in the 80s because many doctors and scientists waited till the thing happened and then tried to do all the things you would expect to research it to treat it come up with cures and vaccines and so on importantly i think we understood that with proper management and mobilization and commitment to prevention through behavior change uh, we could really impede the spread and transmission of the virus, which we did in Australia and other countries did. So all of that history, I apply, I guess, to the politics and uh, challenges of dealing with this uh, serious problem now with COVID. Um, Bill, having that very special strategic perspective that you have, I'd just like to ask how you think the current state of our vaccine rollout is going. Well, it's a mess. Uh, there is no question that decisions were taken by the Australian government in term in relation to the supply and procurement of vaccines towards the middle and end of last year. That really seriously restricted our options and have resulted in a very dramatic shortfall in supply. Now, it boiled down to not backing every horse in the race. Of course, when the vaccines were first mooted, the candidates were unknown and some might work, some might not. Some avenues might be propitious and others not so good. But at that time, most of the equivalent countries to Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom and so on, backed every horse in the race. Uh, that was the right thing to do. Costs should have paid no part in it, in my view, that's completely irrelevant, immaterial, because the costs of not doing something in this pandemic far outweigh the costs of actually 
making the right call when you can. So uh, backing here was for AstraZeneca through a manufacturing deal with CSL, uh, a minimal amount of Pfizer, the mRNA vaccine, and a bet on the vaccine being developed at University of Queensland. University of Queensland one regrettably fell over <laughs> uh, and we've seen what happened with the with AstraZeneca. It has obviously some challenges in manufacturing which caused them to underdeliver. And but on top of that in Australia, the TGA was just allowed to do its normal processes. There was no emergency use provision. It wasn't expedited or accelerated. So it took months more than it ought to have for the AstraZeneca and then the Pfizer to be approved. Now, we are now ranking somewhere about 90th in the world in terms of people being vaccinated. Today, about 95% of Australians are unvaccinated, whereas also just now, President Biden has said all who wish to be vaccinated in America can be. They've vaccinated well over half of all adult Americans and they have enough vaccine on hand to supply everybody who wishes to turn up to a centre or a clinic and be vaccinated. Uh, so many, many countries in the world have done better in the than the Australian rollout. So that's very regrettable. That's a problem for public health. We have a third wave building in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, things are not getting better in the rest of the world, uh, despite the vaccinations. And we are under assault every day by new strains and variants coming in. But even now, the Australian government will not commit to targets by which all, by which all target dates by which all Australians will be vaccinated, or even those in categories 1A and 1B. So, and, and they will not answer a simple question, how many doses of Pfizer are available in Australia today? How many do you expect to be delivered at the end of next week, next month, next quarter, and so on, and to give a commitment by when all Australians will be vaccinated? Now, this is not business as usual. This is extremely poor administration of the government of Australia. <laughs> so I'm not impressed. I have to say. Bill, in a way, what you're saying is that the information given to us or not given to us um, and the decisions made as to whom is backed or not backed, um, it, it is a government decision. They did have some health advice. Do you think primarily that these sorts of decisions were health public health focused or were they focused with an eye on what would make the government look best? Well, it's, it's another way of saying, I think, David, that whenever politics overtakes public health and public health considerations for what we ought to do, the public health interest loses. Okay. And that has been a consistent problem with the Australian government's response since the first days of the pandemic. Uh, the Australian government at the top level was not committed to the strategy of elimination. They did not want to lock down the country. And there were parents that thought the best way to approach this was on the totally discredited herd immunity approach adopted in Sweden and the Netherlands and in the United States under the previous administration. So politics has always got in the way of this response in Australia. 
Thankfully, in Australia, the state premiers and the territory leaders responded to the real concerns of the people and the public health systems and locked down the country on the 22nd of March. And that set us on the bumpy but achievable road to elimination of local transmission, the same policy objective as Prime Minister Ardern had in New Zealand. Now, that's been a tremendous boon to this country, save lives, save jobs, save sanity. The swift rebound of the economy is because we committed ourselves to local elimination. But I'm afraid to say that this is not the view held, uh, I think, still by many people who ought to know better. And I look at the very slow rollout of the vaccines. I look at the idea that we could open up borders to COVID endemic countries before Australians are vaccinated. So the fortunate few who are vaccinated can go out into the world where there are new, more dangerous variants circulating rapidly, and they might come back into Australia, not into hotel quarantine system, which is the best system we have, but into hotel, into home quarantine. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally believe the best way to live with COVID is to live without it. Mm-hmm. Australia and New Zealand, some other countries, by following elimination, have done exactly the right thing. The countries that did not do that are paying a dreadful price. The virus is mutating faster than we are vaccinating, but even in the United States, uh, they have problems with these new variants in the Midwest. In, they do in Ontario and they do in Europe. So they're in a mad race between vaccinating people with the best possible vaccines, yes, but with still very high daily caseloads. Now, that's a really terrible trap to be in. Vaccine on one hand, vaccination on one hand, and still high caseloads coming from new variants on the other. Why would we ever want that in Australia and New Zealand? The Australian people overwhelmingly reject that as the policy outcome in Australia. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the vaccines, I say, for goodness sake, the federal government must focus like a laser on supply. They must Mm -hmm. clean on the statistics and the national cabinet must impose a believable target date by which all Australians will receive one jab and then by which all Australians will receive both in relation to Pfizer and AstraZeneca. And of course, then we have to expedite the introduction and the testing processes for other vaccines that might help us as well. I hear you absolutely loud and clear, Bill. Um, And of course, that's my biggest concern. Both is that using the best possible vaccines um, overseas, we're actually seeing numbers now spiking to nearly as high, if not higher, than the first wave. I think the only notable uh, country is actually the UK, which is doing a lot better than others. So, so what we have doesn't really protect what's out there. And you're absolutely right. Why do we ever want it here? It's the question I have now is that even though we have or soon will have enough AstraZeneca because we're going to make it, do you think that the public are asking questions enough that the uptake might be significantly impeded? Well, in, in relation to AstraZeneca, in relation to all of this, actually, 
the greatest thing we can have in the community is trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was involved in the HIV days and the response. Mm-hmm. The government and the opposition of those days said, we must have trust. We don't know all the answers as yep. the science changes, but the people must trust what is being said to them. And yep. the underpinning of trust is a total commitment to transparency and to honesty. These things are being done largely when they go wrong as a result of being done behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And the basis of the decisions is not known or communicated. The advice is a state secret. Mm-hmm. Now, this is completely antithetical to good public policy, public health policy. All of the assumptions must be uh, open to public view and scrutiny and to the sensible analysis of better epidemiologists and virologists and, and people who are then, then many of whom are advising the government. Mm-hmm. Because the history of this shows in the last year that the government at its top levels, by being secretive, has come to very poor decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there any anything behind closed doors makes you suspicious, but time after time we're being confronted with the consequences of these decisions. Mm-hmm. Had there been better input, if they had been more widely canvassed, the decisions would have been better and stronger. And nothing indicates that more than the vaccine decisions and the poor rollout that we've experienced and the lack of supply. Now, AstraZeneca, I, I'm not an epidemiologist or a scientist, but I accept at face value the TGA recommendations that it's okay for people over 50 but it's got to be kept under close review. It would have made a lot more sense if we had not only established an AstraZeneca vaccine manufacturing capacity, but at the same time, we had also established an mRNA vaccine manufacturing capacity. Mm-hmm. And if we had done that and proceeded as diligently as the Germans did, they got it up in about six months. Well, today we would have a local capacity to make a lot more mRNA vaccines instead of being at the end of every queue and no surety of when these mm-hmm. additional Pfizer doses will arrive. The, the saving grace for us is that at the moment we're looking in a pretty good position and that's what's saving us, Bill. Um, I, I feel that sometimes um, when I look at how decisions are made, uh, they seem to be made on a reactive basis rather than a well-thought-up proactive strategy. One of the things I've done in this last year, I was able to write a small book, mm-hmm. Monash University Publishing, as one of their In the National Interest series, and they published that last month, called Unmasked, the Politics of Pandemics. And my thesis in that book, derived in great part from my experience with HIV-AIDS, was that While nature creates viruses, politics and politicians create pandemics. Pandemics create new politics. Now, what I mean by that is that bad politics and and lousy politicians who want to impose some sort of political structure over the public health response Mm -hmm. can be guaranteed to get it wrong. And in relation to COVID, We saw that with the previous administration. It drove the United States off a cliff 
yeah. at least 500,000 people are dead as a result, mm. and more. Uh, there are 3 million dead in the world, but obviously that understates the death toll and the consequences of the politicisation of the public health response are all around us. One way and another, thanks to the diligence of the people and the public health system and the premiers and the state leaders, we averted that fate in Australia a year ago, but it was done by overturning a lot of bad politics. Now, a year later, I think we're in the same boat. I think the people and the public health system, premiers, have to tell the Australian government, they have to make it clear who works for whom. Okay. We don't work for them, they work for us. And the requirement is we have sustained zero transmission, as close as we can get to it, and a massive mobilisation to secure supply and to get Australia vaccinated. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the way we get to the next stage in a world where I'm afraid, when you look at the third wave, things are not going in the way that we all hoped. No. In many ways, it's getting worse. Mm -hmm. It's not like a movie where there's a happy ending guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Things are not going well. We can see in India, in Brazil, mm -hmm. in parts of Asia. So we've got to do everything we can within our power to strengthen our position and to have the resilience to cope with what might come. And that means, I've got to say in Australia, that means really, really looking after our colleagues and friends in Papua New Guinea, yep. and helping them as much as we can as well. We're not out of this by any stretch of the imagination, but we've got to do far, far better at locking in the best possible public health outcomes in Australia. I've got about two or three questions that's come from this incredible um, discussion we've just had here, Bill. But the first one is another example of um, raising and dashing hopes was, you know, um, the opening of borders, even though uh, we see the numbers rising overseas and the mutations markedly mitigating the efficacy of existing vaccines. Uh, there was a brief moment of, oh, let's open the borders when we get vaccinated. And then very quickly, oh, no, actually, we shouldn't really open the borders. And this kind of vacillating between important decisions from the top is actually not, not a helpful discussion for the country. No, well, I follow this as best I can. And I must say this vacillating, as you called it, at the top, it's a bit like a pinball in a pinball machine. Mm -hmm. It becomes exhausting to follow. And it raises hopes and dashes them, confuses the people. Yep. Now, I'm all in favour, I've got to say, of sensible opening up with other countries like New Zealand, yep. BG, where there is no local transmission of COVID. And that means you don't, that doesn't mean that you don't have a case or two that comes in through the quarantine system but that they've got really robust measures to uh, deal with it, to track and trace and to uh, smash it out. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's sensible. Uh, we can do that with New Zealand. But I don't think for a moment you can do that with COVID endemic countries unless and until all Australians are vaccinated. The idea of creating a class of Australians, the fortunate few, and letting them roam the world while the rest of us are unvaccinated and we pick apart our quarantine system, I think you can see what the result of it will be. Yeah. And once, once we have new variants established in the community in Australia, the only way you could get rid of them, as the Australian people would want, 
would be a return to lockdown conditions. Now, the Australian government is very fond of saying, and some of the business community, we have to take lockdowns off the table. Well, I've got news for them. Uh, they won't be off the table. The premiers will not allow a return of COVID. But if by reckless abandoning of policies that have worked so well to secure zero, zero, by some misadventure, we had an outbreak of these new variants in the community in Perth or Melbourne or Brisbane, hopefully not, <laughs> uh, the premiers would do everything required to smash it out of existence, mm -hmm. as we've seen in the last year. So who wants that? We don't want that. But uh, I'm afraid that there is no alternative if we want the life that we've created for ourselves here, but to be extremely diligent, extremely cautious, to revamp the vaccine program. I don't think for a moment, if we've only got a certain amount of Pfizer on hand, and we don't know what that is, but we know it's not a lot, uh, Pfizer should not be being given to people in aged care facilities mm -hmm. because at the moment they're not the most vulnerable and the most at risk. In fact, the people who are most at risk are the people at the borders who are working the hotel quarantine system and frontline healthcare workers. So for people over 50, AstraZeneca totally. For people, healthcare workers under 50, uh, Pfizer, and uh, then roll out to the rest of the community. Mm -hmm. Now, even this completely sensible and logical recommendation is being evidently debated at length in the national cabinet structures. Well, great, but uh, uh, th th this, this perpetual resistance of the federal government to proper public health policy is really becoming very tiresome. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's not the way that things should be being run, uh, but uh, there are certain things we can do straight away. And then, of course, the federal government should just get on and use all of its diplomatic and financial power and influence with America particularly mm -hmm. to secure much greater access to Pfizer and I would think to the other mRNA vaccines that ought to be being approved in Australia now in an emergency way. Bill, I would like you now to just look forward, if you like, maybe six months to a year ahead and... and at the moment, what do you imagine the world is going to look like in six months to a year? And how will we, Australia, live within such a world? Well, it's a very good question and one that, um, like, if I could prophesy the future, I'd, <laughs> I'd mm. be a richer and happier person, I guess, than I am. But uh, I think the original sin, way back at the end of 2019, and we can see it very clearly now, was for many countries, and particularly in Europe and the America, to delude themselves that they could handle this and they could live with COVID and that it was like flu and it would all work out through the applications of poorly understood principles like herd immunity and so on. That is, there was no need at the beginning for radical and bold action to stop the virus in its tracks at the border or as soon as it appeared. Mm -hmm. Now, the world at that moment split into two camps. The countries that understood the problem for what it was, mm -hmm. and as we saw in Wuhan, but elsewhere in Asia and other countries, a dedication to stopping it before it started. And if it got in, to smash it out of existence in those countries. Mm -hmm. 
America and Europe refused to do that. They let it in and they let it run. And they believed that somehow they didn't have to do very much, but that they would control it and they would bring it under management. And they were wrong. It was a disastrous miscalculation. A year later, those countries that went through a first and a second and now through a third wave with increasingly dangerous variants. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Americans were under the previous administration showed exactly what can go wrong. But in the world today, we've got to be extremely concerned with what's happening in Brazil and now in India, two enormous countries. And these things are now pretty much out of control. And the age cohorts that the new variants are infecting are younger. You might recall a year ago, scientists who were wrong were saying, well, this is only a matter that could affect old people in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And the Swedish health people were adamant that, well, 10,000 deaths in nursing homes was just the price you had to pay for the rest of the community being able to get on with its business and young people to go out and around. Well, of course, that's collapsed totally in Sweden. So this was a terribly wrong set of decisions. And Australia and was going in one wrong direction, but it's a great tribute to our democracy and to the insight of the public health people and the doctors and the nurses, the clinicians and the activists who make it up, and then to the premiers and the state and territory leaders that they saw the future that was coming and they saw what was being done in New Zealand, which was leading, and they made a decisive decision to go the right way. That saved lives, jobs, health, money, everything in the last year. So when I look ahead now, in the rest of the world, I see all the faith in vaccines, which is great. That certainly is a net plus in the response. But vaccines are not cures. If 100% of Australians are vaccinated, COVID is still going to be around. We're in a very precarious position. And when I see that in Europe and the United States, they've opted for vaccines but refuse to impose the movement restrictions and the mask mandates and the behavioural measures mm -hmm. that seem to me to be most effective at restricting transmission and removing it from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, well, it worries me. It worries me because if we don't eliminate this, surely the prospect must be for new variants to keep coming. As Tony Fauci, who's the go-to guy in all of this, said, it can't mutate if it's not replicating. Mm -hmm. right? it, if, if you don't have a, rep, a large number of new cases, the opportunity to the virus to mutate doesn't exist. So at least in Australia, I think we can say one thing, certainly, there'll never be an Australian variant of the virus as long as we have zero, zero, because there are no, pretty much no Australian cases of COVID or New Zealand. So I think the outlook is pretty equivocal. Whatever we're doing, I think the vaccines are a necessary condition, but I don't th think they're a sufficient condition for ending the global pandemic. I think more has to be done. We have to vaccinate the entire world and we have to get ahead of this variant problem. Otherwise, we'll, we will be in an endless and pointless, in the sense of no endpoint, race and contest with nature 
and the laws of physics, chemistry, biology, and mathematics, which we cannot win through cheap politics. We can only beat it by employing the laws of nature and science against the virus. And if we do that, I think we can get rid of it. But I don't think we can live with it uh, globally. Mm. We seem to be deluding ourselves that we can. But what would I know? I'm I just, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm just one of many, but I, I see how well a country like Australia, New Zealand, other countries have done in eliminating it. And I scratch my head when I look at Europe and America, Canada, and I say, why wouldn't you do what the science and logic dictated in your own interests? Mm. You saved millions of lives, trillions of dollars, enormous heartache, immense disruption, but they seem to be impervious to these to these uh, points and arguments. Am I kind of thinking when you said the outlook is pretty equivocal, uh, it just looks as if Australia and a few select countries that we can form uh, travel bubbles with would be isolated from the rest of the world for quite a long time then. Well, yes, I, there isn't a, a sort of a superficial attraction to withdrawing into the shell or the bubble, and it works for a while, I accept, uh, you know, in the last year or so. But I don't think it's the way to go forward. We must join with all the like-minded countries of the world, mobilise science, mobilise the financial resources, and determine to eliminate COVID from the world. Until everybody is vaccinated, none of us are vaccinated, really. Yeah. We are at the mercy of whatever nature throws up at us as the virus mutates. So in my view, it's an all or nothing approach. And what it means is we can't have little frolics off to the side like the Tokyo Olympics, mm -hmm. as if that's the most important thing that the world can do in 2021, when obviously they should be abandoned. Uh, Japan is totally not vaccinated mm -hmm. and it's just, uh, it's just uh, not core business in my view. But we have to mobilise even better than we've done to get the vaccines right and yep. then the distribution right. Now, the greatest vaccine of all is money. I learned that from the HIV days. With money and our resources, you can accomplish great things. And whatever we've spent on vaccines and the creation of vaccines, we need to spend more and better and faster. But most importantly, we need to put in place in the world the structures totally funded by massive amounts of money that distribute the best possible vaccines to all the people in the world. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, impose the behavioural measures that obviously do a great deal to impede the spread of the virus from one high impact area to a lesser impact area. There's a lot of that that's got to be done, but we need to allocate the money to do that. And that means the, the resources of the rich countries have got to be put behind that global mobilisation. Mm -hmm. It's still too half-hearted and it's still underfunded. And in the end, nemesis will come to even countries like Australia and New Zealand because a virus in the end is just a virus. 
and no matter how diligently you work, uh, it will win because it will mutate. And I think we've seen disturbing signs in the last few days, weeks in Australia with numbers of cases in hotel quarantine of people who've returned from overseas. Mm. I don't believe it's a viable strategy to build a wall around Australia and New Zealand, even if you could build an antiviral wall, which you can't, and live our lives behind that wall. It's a bit too Mad Max for me. <laughs> and I think we've got to <laughs> we've got to do a lot better than that. And we've got to look after our friends and neighbours and use all of our ingenuity and our money and our talents yep. and to work with clearly uh, an excellent American administration that at least seems to grasp the breadth and depth of the challenge in front of us. And I think working with those good people with many of the European governments, with China, you know, that's that's the way we've got to do it. We've got to put the politics aside and focus on the really serious threat to our global civilization. Bill, I think that's um, an important note um, for me to just pause and stop at the moment. Um, I just wonder, Bill, if you've got any um, last messages for our listeners. Well, the biggest message, the biggest word in this is hope. It is easy in these circumstances to talk yourself into a rather gloomy frame of mind. Mm -hmm. But I learned from the HIV days, and I've learned again in the last year, personally, that you can trust the people, you can trust the good common sense of the Australian people, particular and people generally, they understand what's at issue. And if you tell them the truth, and you tell them what they have to do to protect themselves and their families. And you deliver that news that through their governments, the tax burden might have to go up or they've got to change their daily lives. Mm -hmm. But they've got to do it in the common interest. Then they do it if you deal with them openly and honestly. So I, I have hope that if we mobilise the people and dispense with bad politicians and bad politics that's really only dictated by the commercial and economic interests of the few, not the many, if we can mobilise that, we can beat it. We can, we can really do it. We don't want to be in this state of learned helplessness and resignation to our fate in the service of some crackpot academic theory, but really just justifying not doing very much and not accepting responsibility for outcomes. So I believe in hope, but I also believe in people being vocal, mm -hmm. people who are closest to the problem, particularly doctors and clinicians and nurses and the frontline people and the hotel quarantine workers, mm -hmm. all the people who are at the front of it, I learned in the HIV days, and it's true now, they should be at the heart of policymaking. Too much of this is behind closed doors at the top, and the people at the front of it, right next to it, who understand what's happening on the ground, are condescended to and shut out of decision-making. In the HIV days, we put those people at the heart of it, much to the fury of some of the old establishment doctors and scientists. But that was the right way to do it. So I'd like to see people just say something, say it to their professional associations, say it to their local politicians, mm -hmm. say it through the media, and demand a far better response than seems likely at the moment. I'm talking now particularly like in, in vaccination and... Mm -hmm going to the next level of what we're going to have to do now as this thing is clearly not going away in 2021 and we're going to have to deal with it in 2022. I think that requires a great deal of rethinking again. 
so that we can have the best possible response in this country. And as I say, uh, not living with COVID, but living without it. Bill, I really thank you for sharing with us your, uh, your thoughts. I think um, they will give us both food for hope and you've also given us um, a direction by which we can at least make a message being heard. And I really take it from you that um, the people who should be at the center, those at the very front lines, they really should have a seat in the decision-making process. I think they're all very important points. Okay, thank you very much, David. Thank no, you. I thank you for your time, Bill, and good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free. You get CPD points and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au.